Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com, and today I want to do a teaching called Puer Delicatus and Homosexuality, They Are an Abomination. Puer Delicatus and Homosexuality, They Are an Abomination. Now, some people may wonder what I mean by Puer Delicatus. I'll tell you something interesting is uh, this past week, I've been looking up a lot of things concerning the history of it, the history of homosexuality. And I have found that its roots go all the way back to the very beginning, okay? Um, I've even learned that during this teaching, I mean, well, during this study that I've done of it, that this spirit is really in every walk of society, in every walk of life, it's everywhere. And this is just one of those things where it would do us some good to really think about, you know, what we believe is right today, what we think is in line with the things that we want, and what does God really say about it, and how detrimental is it to a person's walk? Now, pure delicatus is really um, a term that was used in ancient Rome. Hey, sister uh, Sarah, it was a term used in ancient Rome for male temple prostitute, or as you would say, little boy toys that they like to use, okay? Like pedophilia, you may as well say. And this is going on in ancient Rome. I mean, you would hear about so many of like Nero or um, you know Alexander and so many other guys that were out there in history that were seriously involved in pedophilia. I mean, even when you look at Muhammad, Muhammad and his wife, Aisha, you know that she was six years old when he married her and they consummated the marriage when she was age nine, okay? So I'm just here to tell you that this thing is broad and it's still going on behind the scenes. It's still doing a lot of damage to generations of kids. And you see, I'm recognizing that with pedophilia and homosexuality, the more research I do and the more understanding that I have of it, I'm realizing that you can't separate the two that they are almost identical. I know a lot of people are gonna disagree, but I would encourage people to, to take time to listen to this study, to understand where I'm bringing it forward. And you're gonna find as we go through this that they're almost inseparable. And I've got a, quite a few good testimonies tonight that you guys are gonna hear from people that were in the life, people that have given their lives to Jesus Christ. This is not a teaching to bash anyone or to make anyone feel bad. But one thing I am gonna tell people tonight is the absolute truth. And what I'm also going to show them and tell them is that regardless of where they've been, regardless of what they've done, regardless of where they are, it is not too late to give your life to Jesus Christ. So this is not gonna be a bashing of homosexuals or pedophiles. This is going to be a plea that they give their lives to Jesus Christ, that they understand the wickedness that is involved in it 
And I want them to even see how they were used. Hey, Sister Dawn, I want these people to see how they were even used, you know, by society through brainwashing, through uh, corrupt sexual activities, through, you know, being abused as children and all these things going on, how these things tie together. And um, I also want people to know too, that when the Bible calls it an abomination, that's what it truly is. And I think you guys are gonna see that in this teaching. You're gonna really get some understanding as to what's going on. There's gonna be a lot of things that are said that's going to make people angry. It's gonna make people feel you know, bad about things. But you know what? You can never fully clean out cancer unless a person goes through the process of surgery or, or chemo or having these things removed. So a lot of things are painful at first. A lot of things are difficult at first. But what my plea is to people today is that they may see the wickedness, that it is a sin, that it is an abomination, and it's growing. Not only is it now in certain uh, institutions concerning religion and even those so-called Christian you know, faiths, but you find it in Islam. You're finding it in the school system. You're finding it wherever you go. Pedophilia and homosexuality, these two run right alongside of one another. So tonight we're gonna to get into the history because I think that if we study ancient Rome, we're gonna really get a glimpse that we didn't just adopt a lot of Roman laws and a lot of Roman ways and how they have the Senate and how they have society set up, but you're gonna find out that even sexual corruption, we copied from them as well. And even before the Romans, we're gonna even talk about how these things were affected in the Bible. And we're gonna also talk about what the agenda is and why this thing has grown so big over the last few years. So we've got about three testimonies or videos that I want you guys to see. I'm gonna read an article to you. And we're gonna also talk about its play out in the Bible, what the Bible says about it, why the Bible is correct and what it says and how the stages of it are broken down. You don't just become a homosexual overnight. You just don't become sexually immoral overnight. There's a lot of conditioning. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of twisting that takes place in a person's, you know, um, uh, you know, psychological um, mind frame, and and what they've done to themselves in terms of immorality. You know how the Bible speaks of the wages of sin themselves being death. These are things that we've got to pay attention to because they do eventually over time corrupt us, all right? So I wanna get right in, let's pray guys, and then we're gonna get right into this lesson. But you know, what's being celebrated today was once seen as unthinkable. I remember there was a time when I was a kid growing up that when we saw a homosexual, you know, one walking around, not like just, you know, regular, but you know, acting like a woman or maybe, you know, switching and saying all these things, you know, they were seen as, I mean, you know, just outside of society, like, man, you know, this person has a real problem. But today, I mean, I'm only 43 years old, but I can tell you in the last 30 years, this thing has become such a big deal that to speak against it is to be thrown in jail. You know, they're even telling Christians, you can't even have the belief system that you have that that's immoral and, and to speak against it, but it's celebrated in schools today. You know, a lot of the teachers are in that atmosphere, you know, and, and, and it's just unfortunate 
that this is what we've got to grow up in, because if it was really about equal rights, then we should have an equal right as Christians to say what we feel. But what we find in many cases that when this spirit gets the upper hand, when this spirit gets into the highest levels of society and government, you'll begin to see that it's not as friendly as you think it is. It becomes a hostile takeover. Ask anybody in prison, ask anybody that deals with this up close and personal. When the upping hand is gained, all that I need you to accept me and I need you to love me and care for me, that goes out the window. They get down to the place of, I'm gonna take this by force. All right, so I don't wanna waste any time. Let's let's pray, let's get right into this lesson. But then we're gonna read about, you know, the article on how it was in ancient Rome. You know, we're gonna hear two amazing testimonies of people that were in that life and then gave their, their hearts to Jesus Christ. I don't have any hatred at all towards any particular people, but it's just like any other sin. But one thing is for sure, the Bible refers to it as an abomination. Hey, brother Randy, you know, so these are things that we're gonna be talking about tonight. So let's pray, let's get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day not promised to us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given us, that I have with my brothers and sisters, that you've given us yet another day to be partakers in your word, to be edified by your spirit, Lord, that we may choose life and not death. And I pray, Lord, let no man's heart be heard, Lord. Let no flesh be glorified. For we place no confidence in the flesh, but only in the saving power of Jesus Christ. So we invite the Holy Ghost, that we invite the spirit of teaching into our lives, that we may receive you, Lord, that we may believe on you, that eyes, ears, minds, and hearts may be open to receive the truth, Lord, that you can do a massive deliverance for people that are confused and they know not the way. And I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you bind the devil, that you bind that Antichrist spirit, that you bind the Jezebel spirit, that you bind the Ahab spirit, that you bind the homosexual spirit. I pray in Jesus' name, that you keep the devil back, that your people may hear, that they might believe. And for those, Lord, who are in this, that know what we're dealing with, with what kind of pressures we're going through, Lord, I pray that you give your people great boldness in these last days, that they may speak up for you, that they may believe on you, that they may stand for you, that this spirit may not take over the lives of our wives, husbands, and children, but that they may see the truth that God is right, and what he intended to be will always be. So we pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray, amen. All right, so let's get right into this lesson concerning uh, pure delicatus or poor delicatus and homosexuality. You're gonna find, guys, that these two are tied at the hip. So I'm gonna read an article to you real quick before we get into the scriptures, but I want people to understand that the same agendas that they had way back then are the same agendas that they are playing out today. And that's why it's important that we understand, we can understand a lot in the future if we understand 
what the past is, okay? So this is uh, homosexuality, guys, in ancient Rome. I put the article down in the message box and the other videos we listened to tonight. They're also gonna go down in the description box so you guys can look at these when we're done. But this is called homosexuality in ancient Rome. And you guys read this. It says, um, homosexuality in ancient Rome often differs markedly from the contemporary West, Latin lacks word that would precisely translate homosexual and heterosexual. The primary uh, uh, dichotomy of uh, ancient Rome uh, sexuality was active, dominant, masculine, and passive, submissive, and feminine. So they had them broken down in two groups. One was, you know, dominant, masculine, and active, and the other is passive, uh, submissive, and feminine. Now, you got to ask yourself, even today, before I really read into this, why they're putting estrogen in a lot of men's, you know, uh, deodorant and different things like that. Why are they putting fluoride in the water? Because these have a lot to do with femininity and passivity, which is not what God meant for men to be at all. And we're going to even talk about how that plays a role in what the enemy is trying to do. So he says, Roman society was patriarchal and the freeborn male citizen possessed political liberty and the right to rule both himself and his household, his familia. Then it says, um, virtue was seen as an active quality uh, through which a man defined himself. The conquest mentality and cult of, vert of, of fertility uh, shaped the same-sex relations. Romans men, Roman men were free to enjoy sex with other males without a perceived loss of masculinity or social status, as long as they took the dominant or penetrative role. So in other words, as long as they were, and I don't want to be vulgar tonight, guys, but as long as they dominated in the sex, penetrating another man, they were seen as men. And you see, this is a big lie being told today, how people think that as long as you're a male and you're being dominant, that you're in control when really you're just a homosexual. It says um, acceptable male partners were slaves and former slaves, prostitutes and entertainers whose lifestyle placed them in the nebulous social realm of infamia or what you would call uh, infamy. Excluded from the normal protections according to accorded a, a citizen, even if they were technically free. Although Roman men in general uh, seem to have preferred youths between the ages of 12 and 20 as sexual partners, freeborn male minors were off limits at certain periods of Rome. Though professional prostitutes and entertainers might remain sexual available well into adulthood. Same-sex relations among women are far less documented. And if Roman writers and to be trusted, I mean, are to be trusted, female homoeroticism may have been very rare to the point uh, that one poet in the Augustine era described it as unheard of. However, there is scattered evidence, for example, a couple of spells in the Greek magical uh, papyri, and then it says, uh, which attest to the existence of individual women in Roman ruled provinces in the later uh, imperial period who fell in love with members of the same sex. 
Now, I want to get down to what we're going to be talking about tonight, because I want people to have an understanding that there's nothing new under the sun. But as you can see, they believe that as long as men were men and they were penetrating other men, they were seen as men. If you guys even look at what they're doing in the rap game today, you'll find out that most of your rappers that you love so much, that you guys think are so masculine and tough men, you're going to find out they're homosexuals. That you can even look up sexuality in the um, homosexuality in the hip hop game today, and you're going to find that almost all of your most famous rappers are involved in it. They'll even tell you, real men eat booty, man. This is what we do. I remember hearing that and saying, really? Because if that's the case, I guess I'll never be a real man. But you see, this thing has, has grown to a place of, it's in every walk of society. No matter how much they paint it, no matter how much they tell you that they need to be included, guys, they've been included and they've been working behind the scenes to get everybody caught up in that lifestyle. And I'm gonna show you guys tonight that if you are involved in immoral sexual activity and fornication and other things like that, you're going to find that, you know, the only thing that you can become at the end of your sexual immoral life is a homosexual. That's what it's all about. That's what's going to turn people out. And it's got everybody fighting for that spirit because they don't realize that there's residue of that spirit in themselves. You know, a lot of rappers have to be bent over desk to get a record deal. If you guys don't believe me, look it up. This is very real stuff that's going on that people ought to know because we're sitting here looking at it like they're the minority when really they're the majority. And they're in every walk of society, guys, trying to turn people into homosexuals by any means necessary. So these are the roles. This is male to male sex. It says a man or boy who took the receptive roles in sex was variously called senatus or uh, pathicus or exolitus and concubinus. So, and you know, male concubine, uh, spiritia, which is uh, analyst, and puer, which is boy. It says polis, which is chick, puzio delicatus, especially in the phrase puer delicatus, exquisite or dainty boy, mollus or soft, used more generally as an, as an aesthetic, a quality counter to aggressive masculinity, tenor meaning delicate, delibus meaning weak or disabled. Effeminatus, meaning effeminate. And then it says uh, distinctus, which is loose belted, meaning like you would just be free to go and do whatever at any time. And then it says uh, some terms of exilus or exilitus uh, specifically refer to an adult. Uh, Romans who were socially marked as masculine did not confine their same sex penetration of male prostitutes or slaves to those who were boys under the age of 20. Some older men uh, may have at times preferred the passive role. Marital, uh, marital describes, uh, for example, the case of an older man who played a passive role and let younger slaves occupy the active role. An adult male's desire to be penetrated was considered a sickness. It was morbid. So even the even the Romans at this time, 
that are dealing with what they're dealing with, where homosexuality is all the way in, okay? They're saying that even those who were passive in sexual roles were considered, you know, um, you know, a sickness. They call it morbus, or where you, we get the word today, morbid, and it says the desire to penetrate a handsome youth was thought normal. So for in any case, even in terms of their homosexual history, I don't know why my nose is itching tonight, but even with homosexual history, it was considered immoral or even a sickness for a man to want to be penetrated by another man. But they felt like as long as you were the man that was doing it, that you were okay. And you see, this is the lie that they tell people in society today. They want people to believe that the only reason that people do this stuff in prison is because they don't have a woman around or it's okay as long as we recognize that we're men. But we're gonna find out tonight, it's not okay. And this is the lie that's being told because the devil's trying to knit everybody together in this form of sodomy to get everybody on one accord against the will of God and against what God's word says. So let's get right into the study, guys. We'll cover more of this if we have time. But Rome was bathed in this, man. Even when you look at the um, Nazis, you know, they were bathed in this. Look up the pink SWAT sticker if you guys don't believe it. But it always seems like people that were at the very top were very heavily involved in this. And then you wonder why there are laws today that sign off, you know, um, for it. And anyone that speaks against it is going to be thrown in jail and having his rights taken away because this was standard practice in the higher levels of all societies. It was in Babylon, it was in Greece. People don't know Alexander the Great was, had a homosexual lover. Julius Caesar, homosexual lover. Even when you look at many of the politicians you see today, I'm, I'm not gonna get off into Barack Obama, but you know, it's clear he's a homosexual. If you even look at his wife who was Michelle Obama, you know, AKA Michael, You'll find out that that's even going on too, guys. The only reason why this, this thing is considered, you know, we need to fight for their rights is because the very people at the top are them themselves. And they're using this agenda to try and snuff out the righteousness and will of God to turn against everything that God stands for. This is what we're dealing with, guys. So let's go to Leviticus 18, guys. I want to go to Leviticus 18. And we're going to read this and make these points that people may have understanding. But guys, you're going to find out on so many levels how you've been duped, how you were led to believe so much of this stuff is normal, when really it's an overall agenda to destroy the image of the true and living God. Let's look at Genesis 9, not Genesis, Leviticus 18, sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself here. All right, Leviticus 18, guys, let's look at verse one. Now remember, this is just when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Egypt was a type of wicked worldly place that did not believe in the one true God. But look at Leviticus 18, let's look at verse one and it says, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwell, ye shall not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. 
So the Lord is making clear that these belief systems were going on in Canaan, which was another area that was the enemy of God's people, and Egypt, which was, you know, they didn't know the Lord either, and they opposed the children of Israel. Now, if you go down this list, guys, it talks about that a father should not uncover his daughter's nakedness, that a daughter should not uncover her father's nakedness, that a son should not uncover his mother's nakedness. He shouldn't be looking at his aunt. He should be appropriately dressed. You shouldn't be trying to marry your father's wife or, or, you know, like, let's just say there's a half wife in there or whatever. But all of these things were going on where everything was mixed up. They were taught in Canaan and in Egypt sexual immorality. So God gave them the law to get them all back on one accord that they may obey him and know who the true God is. So when you're spare time, guys, read through this. But I need to get to some key points because we got a lot to cover tonight. So let's look at verse 20. Let's jump down here. And look at verse 19, just to show you how much society has uh, changed and what people are doing today. Look at verse 19. It says, also, thou shalt not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she be put apart for her uncleanness. Now, what is this talking about? This is speaking of when a woman is on her menstrual cycle, that a man should not come near her. Now you see today, this stuff is going on as well. This is why we need to have God's understanding that you're not supposed to touch a woman when she's in her period of cleaning and all that's going on. Look at verse 20, moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. So what should we be, what shouldn't we be doing? We shouldn't be sleeping with our neighbor's wife, okay? We shouldn't be committing adultery and doing all these things. Hey, brother Kevin. All right, so then it says in verse 21, and thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Moloch, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. So what was going on in this period, you had women that were killing their kids, okay? They were sacrificing their children over to Moloch, who was considered like the God of the, um, of the you know, Canaanites and other groups where, they used to take their newborn children, put them on the white hot hands of this statue that was burning all day, and the baby would disintegrate in front of them. And these people felt like they would have gain for sacrificing their children. Now you know what abortion is all about and why there's no respect for human life today. If you want to see what the future is all about, all you've got to do is study the past. So it says in verse 22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Now, if you look at this, guys, of all the things that are going down on this list, they talked about uncovering nakedness. They talked about having sex with your wife when she's unclean. They talked about all these different things. You shouldn't fornicate. You shouldn't um, commit adultery, all this stuff. But it says here, that if mankind lies with womankind, it's considered an abomination. So let's look up what the word abomination means because we're clearly talking about homosexuality here. And it says, a disgusting thing, an abomination, abominable, in ritual sense of unclean food, idols, or marriages, in ethical sense of wickedness. And then it says, um, 
properly something disgusting, morally or immorally wrong, that is as noun in abhorrence, especially idolatry or concretely or, or um, an idol. And then it says, abominable custom thing, abomination. So an abomination is not just something that is nasty. The, the Lord is calling it disgusting, unthinkable, that this is twisted. This is not what I made in the beginning. Now, you know, in the Bible, it says in Genesis uh, chapter one and, and verse 26, in the image of God created he then, male and female created he then. I mean, you know, created he him and then. He only made male and female. And what were they made for? Each other. They were meant to join together that they would be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth. That was God's original plan. But what you see today is you've got mankind lying with womankind. And instead of it being an abomination, which God called it to originally be, you find that it's celebrated. You know why? Because the perspective of this world is upside down. That's what sin brings you. Now, every girl, I want to talk to every girl, a man that's been out there. When you lost your virginity, whether you were a guy or a girl, you knew that something was wrong, that there was something special being taken from you. You might have felt good at the moment, but you went home feeling guilty. You went home feeling like your purity has been taken away. And why is that? That's because it has. Now, I'm not trying to condemn anybody because I had sex before marriage myself in my life. The point I'm making is that God meant for everything to be right and holy. But when we step outside of the confines of God's law and what God wants us to stand for, then everyone begins to do what is right in his own sight. And when you've got no moral standard, not only will you become a fornicator, but you'll become an adulterer. Then you'll become you know, a, a sodomite which is anal or oral copulation, which we're not supposed to do. And this is how the devil furthers along that spirit. So I want to talk to the guys and girls. When you first lost your virginity, you never once thought about putting your mouth down there on somebody's private area or penetrating somebody in their behind. Okay, Lord knows I'm trying to be right here, but I want to tell people the truth. What came from that was spending time in immorality, spending time getting freaked out, having illicit sex, coming up with new ideas, watching filth. And then you got to the point where, you know what, what I once thought was disgusting when I was a kid, I now want to be a partaker in because I'm now warped in my thinking. This is how the devil works. He calls this an abomination. Guys, if you look at the next line, it says, neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Now, why do you think God was mentioning this? Because people were doing this, guys. Do you know in Oregon where I live that, you know, bestiality is, is legal? Who signed off on this? So what, I, what I'm bringing this forward to, guys, and we're going to make the point tonight, somebody's trying to freak you out. Somebody's trying to get you to see, man, you know, everything is right. Whatever I want to do, just enjoy. But what are we really becoming? We're becoming like animals. I remember Pastor Price said once, he and I laughed about this the other day, but he said, I remember when I was, you know, a partaker of, you know, being involved in unclean sexual activity. And I remember Pastor Price said, I was listening to one of his videos 
And he said that whenever he brought up sodomy, whenever he brought up anal or oral copulation, that it's immoral and it's not right before God, he said that people would, you know, get real irate and say, show me in the Bible where that's wrong, because the, the Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled. So Pastor Price said, you mean to say you need the Bible to eat and drink out of the toilet? You need, you need the Bible verse to tell you that this is unclean? I mean, you know, you knew this when you were young, but something came on you and changed you. And I'm here to prove tonight that pedophilia and homosexuality are demons. This is not the normal way to think. Some people think they were born that way. We got videos on this too tonight that I want you guys to hear. But one thing we first must understand is it is an abomination. It's an error. And we're going to talk about the steps and how people degenerate to the process of getting there and how the devil has used your own pain and hurt and what happened to you when you were a child to get you to become that way. I mean, you look at about how many boys came through the Catholic church as little choir boys that sat on their, their cardinal or bishop's lap, okay, that they used that way and abused. And you're talking about over a billion Catholics. Can you imagine how that spirit is spread through that? Because I'm even going to prove tonight that even being molested as children 90 plus percent of them have become homosexual. It's almost like an endless story. Why? Because it's a transferred spirit of hatred. You know, it's a transferred spirit of immorality and disgust. It's a transferred spirit to dominate another. And, you know, a lot of these people grow up in this and then they become predators themselves. And I'm not saying it's anybody's fault, guys. I'm just telling you what we need to do and get right. My heart goes out to anyone who was abused and used that way. I want you to come to the truth and know the Lord, but you first got to know that what you're experiencing now is nothing new. We've been through this, man. This is, this is what's happening to society. And one day when this spirit fully takes over, for all those people that are out there defending it, you're going to find out you're going to lose your rights too. When they desire to want you, be you straight or gay, they are going to come after you. It's a very aggressive and self-loving spirit that is not of God, and it destroys lives. Let's look at Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20, and look at verse 13. It says, if a man also lie with mankind, as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death, their blood shall be upon them. Now, some people would say, well, if your God is love, why would he put anybody to death? Well, you know, back then we didn't have grace and we didn't have the Holy Spirit. We didn't have the ability to cast out demons like we do today. Homosexual demons are being cast out all the time. Okay, so this is not something that you just came up with on your own. But back then God knew that if you let this spirit live, and you let it progress, and you let it do what it does, it's going to influence and vex others, so much so that you see it playing out today. Now that it's in the school, now that it's been accepted on TV, now that you hear it blasting over the radio, now that many of your celebrities have said, I'm a homosexual, now that many of them, like Ellen DeGeneres, have got people laughing, 
okay, to their jokes. Now you're seeing that that spirit is coming out broad where these children are actually thinking, I've got the option to turn that way if I want to. The devil is freaking people out. But as you can see, guys, in this time, they weren't even permitted to live if they were caught doing that because every evil deed would transfer and it would grow in the camp. Just like, you know, homo, just like uh, fornication and just like adultery, when you allow immorality to go through society and do what it wants, it's going to grow and prosper. So let's get in. Let's go to Genesis 19, guys, and then I'm going to let you guys hear this video. Look at Genesis 19. And let's begin at verse 1. Okay. Genesis 19 and 1, and it says, And there came two angels, okay, uh, to Sodom and even uh, to Lot, uh, set in even, oh, and at even, sorry, and Lot, set in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So these two angels were sent by God to come into this town called Sodom and Gomorrah to check out what's going on in there because God heard that there's a lot of immorality going on in it. So what did these angels do? They came down to confirm. And it says, and he said, behold now, my Lord, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and ye shall rise up early and go your ways. And they said, nay, but we will abide in the street all night. So Lot, who was in the town, who knew what Sodom and Gomorrah was about, was trying very desperately to encourage these angels, guys, you don't want to stay out there. I know what this place is like. You want to come inside and be with me. But the angels said, we'd be out here all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in into him and entered into the house, and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, before they went to sleep, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the, the house round about, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. So look at what you see here, guys. As these angels with Lot and his family began to lay down for the night and sleep, that they were surrounded, their house was surrounded by the men of the city even the men of Sodom, and then it says they were both old and young. So not only were there old homosexuals standing outside, but they were young also. This is how a city can be fully taken over when that spirit is meant to dominate. And that's why I said pedophilia and homosexuality, they run hand in hand. So imagine a city so taken over that there's old and young people hanging around the house from every part of the city. Look at verse five. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. So these men were asking for the new men or the angels that came into town, that came in, that Lot told to come in his house. These men were calling for them to come out that they may know them. They weren't looking to have tea and cookies. They weren't looking to shake their heads and say, hey, how you doing? I'm Ben. This is my friend over here, Josh. These guys, when they talk about no, that Hebrew word for no is the Hebrew word yada. And that word yada means to know someone in an intimate way. 
If you read the original Hebrew, it makes clear that they wanted to meet them, that they may make of them what they were, okay? So they know by doing this that they were gonna get them to become like them. You don't find a lot of people come out of jail just like that because they wanna be. It's because they've been taken advantage of and that spirit was allowed to be a part of them. Look at verse six. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you brethren, do not so wickedly. So what are they doing? Lot came out of the house, shut the door behind him, and he's pleading with these guys, don't do so wickedly. So what is this considered? It's considered wicked to do that with another man, like the Bible says. Look at verse eight. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known a man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, but therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. So this guy Lot was so ready to take his two daughters and offer them up to these homosexuals because he says, you know, guys, there's a wrong and a right way to do wrong, <laughs> okay? Like if you're gonna do wrong, there's a right way to do that too, okay? It would only make more sense, guys. I know that you want those men, but I can even give you my daughters who had never known a man. So even though you're doing wickedly, you're doing wickedly in the right way. But he, you know, he didn't want those men to be done that way. So look at verse eight and he says, or verse nine, and they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now we will deal worse with thee than with them and they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. So these are militant homosexuals. They said, either you're gonna give it to us, Lot, or we're just gonna go in and take it to ourselves. So anyway, it says, and they wanted to break the door, but the men put forth their hands, the two angels, and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door, and they smote the men that were at the house, uh, uh, I mean, the men that were at the door of their house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. So imagine two angels smitten you with blindness and you're still feeling for the door, even though you're blind. That's what it, that's telling us something, guys. Look at verse 12. And the men said unto Lot, hast thou here any besides, you know, son-in-law and, and thy sons? and daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law and uh, which married his daughters and said, up, get ye out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons in law. So remember, Lot said that his two daughters didn't know a man. But if you look at this, guys, it's making pretty clear that, you know, his daughters were married. So those two, those, those husbands or those sons-in-law, they were sodomites too. They were homosexual too. When Lot's telling them, hey, the Lord is going to destroy this place, guys, we need to get out of here. These people are still hanging around because they're infected with that spirit too. They thought it was funny. 
And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened, a lot saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, and uh, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold unto upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord be merciful unto them. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when he had brought them forth abroad that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O not so, my Lord, thy servant has found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast shewed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil come, I mean, lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold, now this city is near uh, to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape there. Uh, is it not a little one? and my soul shall live. And he said unto him, see, I have accepted thee concerning this thing. Also that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become um, there. Uh, therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. So these angels are pleading with Lot, get out of this town. This place is corrupted. It's rotten to the core and God's gonna judge it. And Lot's lingering, he's not really going forward. So let's skip down to verse uh, 20, uh, let's go into verse 24. And it says, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. So it's making clear here that these people that were in that city that refused to change were destroyed. Why am I bringing this up? Because this is what God thinks about that particular sin. God can't stand homosexuality. He calls it many times in this word, an abomination. An abomination is detestable, it's filthy, it's disgusting, and it's not what should be. So we're not gonna just talk about tonight what the problem is. We're gonna talk about the solution because we want people to be saved. So I want you guys to hear a quick message of a sister that was in that lifestyle that came out of it and she was one of their major players. But what she discovered was that she was being used in such a way that she thought that she was doing righteous, but she said there's a part of her heart that told her that what she was doing was immorally wrong. So, you know, this is a woman that was in that life. You're going to find that video below in the uh, description box. And this is Charlene Cothran. And it says she's a gay activist and she finds Jesus Christ. You guys listen to this. Whoa, that's too loud. As I look back, I see that the devil deceived me and he deceived many, many uh, thousands and thousands of others into believing that we could uh, be happy. You know, that's the deception that this is a happy life. This is a gay life. This is a gay pride. We are happy. None of that is true. 
None of that is true. I began to organize uh, social events for lesbians of color at the time. Myself and I had two other business partners and we were a perfect fit. We would rent restaurants and invite women to come and uh, sort of uh, amass a, a mail list. And women would come from all over the region. And on a, any holiday night, uh, the group was called Hospitality Atlanta. It would not be um, uh, to have seven, 800 women exclusively packed into a beautiful restaurant with, we hired police at the door and would not let a man in. And from those events, we we had softball leagues and softball teams and then and, and, uh, major, you know, picnics and whatnot. It was just a, a great, at that time, we thought, organization. We made a lot of money. And uh, we did that for nearly 10 years. And when we got older and decided that we didn't want to do it anymore, you know, I decided, well, what are we going to do with this mail list? And from that mail list, uh, I decided to launch uh, a magazine. The gay and lesbian political community began to pay attention to the fact that we could bring um, numbers of black lesbians and gays together uh, through the work that we were doing. And then when the magazine was launched, surely uh, we began to get uh, contacted by HRC, Human Rights Campaign, and the Victory Fund, and uh, many of the gay organizations who, who, who are uh, doing a lot of work right now. And we were, it was a very important part um, in the early 90s of the work that they were doing because uh, at that time they were being told by local uh, politicians or regional politicians and national politicians that, okay, you guys are rich, you are guys are a group of rich white gay men. And you wanted to change laws just for you. No, we don't see a coalition of people here. So it was important then to be able to raise up or show a Charlene Coffin or a, Vic or a Venus magazine to say, oh, no, there's a huge, vibrant black gay community. Look at that through the pages of Venus magazine. So we were an important part of what they were trying to present. But the strategy is always to get one little foot in the door. When in fact, uh, the plan means we're going to take over the whole thing. Well, why don't we just get uh, a, a statement, uh, Mr. School Board President, in your school board policy that you simply acknowledge the fact that we, we, will not, we'll, we will not fire a gay teacher or that there may be some gay students that we're going to be uh, okay with, you know, uh, not trying not to be prejudiced toward them through our policy. We just want one little statement in the booklet when in fact the plan is to take over the whole school system as we see now 15 years later is happening. There's always just, you know, that's the strategy just to get in under the wire, and then once you get enough of our people in, then to do some major work. I was asked to help with domestic partnership, the, the, uh, get the domestic partnership bill passed in Atlanta, Georgia, and they helped to train me to go in and speak with council people and to speak with uh, the mayor. And of course, they chose not only uh, people of color, but also people who were landowners. Of course, I owned a home at that time, and, yeah, and people who had a good, strong voting record that was also... Um, very important. And so um, we would go in under the wire and basically what, what we were trained is that don't talk to anybody else about this. All we want to do is get in, talk to the council people. We don't even want the church folk to, 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 to understand that this vote is coming up soon. We want to be able to fill the auditorium on vote day with all gay and lesbian landowners so that the politicians will say, my God, we kind of have to do this. That's the strategy. That's the strategy. They were able to uh, infiltrate media. Uh, and even people, you know, I look at people who started out even with my small publication. 
people who started out with Venus Magazine and were able to take, um, you know, tear sheets from our book um, are now working for some major newspapers, working for Bloomberg, working for New York Times, working for Condé Nast. And so it, it's so true. It's like they, you know, the gays and lesbians run major media in this country. They just do. And I'm not sure how many, the church really, well, maybe the evangelical church realizes that, but gays and lesbians really are um, at the forefront of major media decisions. And so then sitcoms, um, every sitcom, they, they, you know, I've heard that every sitcom is going to have a gay character and it's coming true. It really is. And of course, now gay characters have major talk shows. They really have taken over media. Why? Because media speaks directly into the minds of young people. And that's how you change society, by changing the mind of the youngest person. I hadn't planned on shifting out of it. I was doing just well. You know, I had a, a magazine that was on automatic pilot. I was doing uh, very, very well. And at the top of what I thought was my career, my mother passed away. And that changed, that was the beginning of the change that God was setting up for me uh, because I'm the oldest of two. And uh, now my grandmother, who has Alzheimer's, becomes my responsibility. Here I am in the middle of a 10 year relationship with another woman. Uh, and uh, we're living together in New York and my grandmother is now living with us and my life changed uh, in so many ways. Uh, I wasn't able to get to all those functions I used to run and go to. Um, I was barely getting Venus out, but God was showing me what eternity looks like. Because when I had to bury my mother, uh, I, I had a decision to make about a plot to buy. Okay. My mom, my grandmother is is my responsibility, and then I've got to go. I'm you know I'm unmarried, you know whatever. But I I, I bought a three grave plot in our family cemetery, and it was a huge reminder to me when I would go and put uh, flowers on my mother's grave that that's where my mother's going to be. That's where my mother is. This is where my grandmother's going to be, and this is where you're going to be. And when you when you look at you know your mortality. It really forces you to think about what's beyond this grave. And I was forced to think about that. And having, again, that seed of righteousness that was way down in me from, again, that 12-year-old got saved experience and being forced now at 42 to say, where are you really going to spend eternity? Just getting buried in this ground is not it. That is not over. What's going to happen after that? And that may come sooner than you think. That began to change uh, just uh, the way I saw the gay life. Now, did I continue to publish the magazine? Yes. And I went to some, you know, events? Yes. But I, I saw uh, th that people were not paying attention to the ever after. In fact, they avoided it. And I, I could never, I was never one to go to a gay church. You know, that just never sat well with me. I knew it wasn't real. I knew that was not um, the God of my understanding, the only God there is. Uh, and I could not um, get in line with that. So I, so I just didn't go to church uh, very often, except to a family gathering or function. But um, facing um, my mortality, looking at my mortality forced me to begin to think about uh, things that are spiritual. And, and, and then there were times, you know, in my soul that I wanted someone to share with me 
how I could get out of this captivity that I was in. I mean, it, it certainly I had the knowledge of Christ, but I did not know that I could uh, be free in my flesh again. I always struggled with that. Can I ever be free in my flesh? Can I ever not want a woman? Can I ever not look at a woman and desire her? Can I, be, can I ever break free of that? That is how, why, how I struggled. And um, one day, uh, again, uh, here I am you know, in New Jersey and a, and a pastor happened to call me on the phone, wonderful woman of God. Um, and she asked me, she said, Charlene, you know, we discussed our business and I guess there was just something the Lord prompted uh, her to ask me, where are you in the Lord? And I said to her, um, you know, in my, in my spirit, I wanted her really to, to, to help me with this dilemma. How do I get free of my flesh? I said, but if you discuss the flesh with her, the kind of flesh you're talking about, this woman, woman thing, this woman is going to, you know, run and hang up the phone and, and never talk to you again. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. She listened to me go on. And then something, uh, my pride kicked in and something said, well, just tell her about all the accomplishments you've also made as a lesbian. You've published, you've traveled, you've done this, you've done that. And let her know that even the money you make from your gay publication is the one is what allows you to do the small community publication for them. It's, it's gay dollars that support you. Know? So all of that kicked in. And she allowed me to go on and on. And she said, let me tell you something. She said, I can see in, in, in the spirit that you want to come back to Christ, but you can't figure out how to be, to, to, you, can, you, you know how to get free, but you can't figure out how to stay free. And you feel as though God can't use you because you've been so public about your lesbianism. She said, God intends to use all of that. And something began to unlock and unravel just at that time. And just that stony ground began to break up so she could get some word uh, in me. Um, God just sort of shut me up. I, I was speechless. For several minutes, I could not speak. All I could do was listen and tears just flow down because she would just hit something that was so true. It was so true. I wanted to be free in that moment. You know, God said to me, look, you're going to choose this day who you're going to serve. You know, I've been here. I've loved you. I've protected you. I've gotten you out of this situation and that situation. I've helped you. I've, you have seen me divide the world. And he has in, in many occasions, even as an unsaved person, I recognize the hand of God moving. My God, that had to be God. I couldn't have done that myself. You know, particularly after my mother died, you know, several things happened that were just a setup. I know that it was God. And, and I'm like, God, why? And I, and I thought to myself, he's doing this for grandma. I, you know, it was never for me because I certainly I didn't deserve it. But God showed me it was me doing that. It was, and that's how he wins us, by the loving kindness and compassion he has toward us. And, and he said, okay, now I've done all that. And I'm telling you now, today is your day. You're going to choose. And if you choose me, that I'm going to use you. I'm going to make you so happy. I'm going to use everything uh, that I, all the gifts that I had developed in you. I'm going to use all of that for my own, my own glory. But if you say no, if you refuse me today, then I'm going to allow you to just go on and drift off and do whatever you want. But at the end of that road, there will be judgment and I'm not today is the day you will choose. And I, I heard that very clearly and very loudly as I, as much as I'm uh, just as clearly as I'm speaking to you today, he spoke that into my spirit. 
And I said, no, I'm going to choose you today, God. And I and and of course, the, the enemy is, is speaking in the other year. Well, what about, you know, what about your income? You can't stop publishing Venus Magazine. You know, my entire, all of my debt load was, was built on, you know, a certain income coming in every every quarter from from the publication. I have mortgages. Um, you know, car notes. I have, I have all the debt that, that is associated with your income. And I, and I said, you know what? I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do it. All I know is I've got to trust God in this moment and I've got to choose God in this moment. Oh, yeah. Well, what about the speaking engagement that you're already been paid to go to New York City to Schomburg, you know, New York City Gay Pride? You're going to have to do that. When are you going to go there and say, you you can't get saved today? Is what the enemy kept saying, you can't get saved today. And I'm like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to go there and say, but I know that I'm going there as a saved person because I'm choosing the Lord today. And, and you know, it seems like after I just gave the enemy the last blow, he just said, okay, well, let me go bother somebody else. And then tears just began to flow. And I felt the overcoming of the Holy Spirit in me like I've never felt before. Something just churned down on the inside. God began to break up some ground in me. And um, I cried in that car and, and the pastor stayed on the phone and she asked me, uh, will you pray the sinner's prayer with me? Because she asked me twice before and I said no, because all these, you know, things were going up in my head. But the third time, she's so persistent. And I thank God for that. She was so persistent. The third time she asked me if you would pray the sinner's prayer with me, then I, I, I said yes. And I prayed the sinner's prayer with her and the Lord came into my heart. Uh, that day. The very next thing uh, after getting saved that Tuesday was that I uh, I went on to uh, Schaumburg. And this is about two weeks later. I went on to the Schaumburg. I didn't call ahead and let them know that I was going to have uh, some, you know, I had a change of life. I just said, you know, God, you're going to show me. And uh, he'd already shown me in, in just a passage of scriptures that, you know, don't worry about what you're going to say. I will give you the perfect timing and I will give you the perfect word to share in the perfect moment. And it, but on the other side of my mind, I'm like, yeah, but I know the gay and lesbian community. I'm like, oh, my goodness, they're going to have a fit. <laughs> they have some kind of fit on me. And uh, I won't I won't say that I wasn't frightened because I was now um, I was part of a panel discussion. It wasn't a keynote. And these, these were all publishers. These were people who I traveled with before. Every time we would go to a session, you know, we knew who, who each other. There was a book publisher and the magazine publisher and the one who just got a new book. So we we're all sitting there. We we're all sharing about our experiences. And the host, uh, of course, would ask a series of questions. And I think the first set of questions was, uh, how did you all get started? And I certainly shared how Venus got started and everybody else did. And um, uh, how did you gather the, the, the audience that you have now? So I'll be able to share that. But when he, the last question he closed with was, where uh, do you see uh, your publication going now? And I knew that that was that, that, that the door that God opened. This is where you tell them. And so I began to say, I said, you know, the direction of Venus is going to change 180 degrees. We're going uh, in totally in an opposite direction. Our mission up until now has been to encourage gays and lesbians to stand up and be who they are, you know, in the community and come out of the closet and be proud and let your parents and neighborhoods know. We're going now in the opposite direction. We want to let gays and lesbians know that this is not what God intended. And I tell you that you could hear a pin drop. In that auditorium, the host, the other, I, I wouldn't look to the left or the right at, the, at my friends. And I try not to see, see faces. You know, I try like Jeremiah, don't even look at their faces. Just say what God says and let it go forth and let the chips fall where they may. And I said, this is not what God intended. And Venus is going to now uh, instruct people on how to get out 
of homosexuality. And not only that, but you can't just get out on your own, that it takes a committed relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he's done for me. And, you know, there, it was time for us to speak, but it was like, you know, it took a while for the silence to break up. And I just, I, I let it sit, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with silence sometimes. And I didn't say anything and they didn't say anything for a minute. And the host, when he finally got over the shock of it, went on to the next speaker. But then uh, a little fright set in because of course there was a reception immediately at, immediately afterwards. And I thought, oh my God, get out of here. Don't go to the reception, run to your car and get back to New Jersey real quickly. Don't take any questions, just go. And uh, the Lord began to say, no, if this is your ministry, then this is where you begin. You're gonna stay, and you're gonna you're gonna take whatever uh, you know comes. And I thought, okay, well they're gonna be uh, pretty ice cold to me. I'm gonna be you know pretty isolated. You know at this reception, you know you're gonna be standing here, and the rest of the crowd are gonna be over there, kind of looking at you like she's lost her mind. But that didn't happen either. Um, as I stood at that reception, one by one, a person would come over to me and say, you know. Um, I used to go to church and I'm not happy in this life. And I want to get out too. I had another uh, woman come over to me and say, you know what? I used to be a minister and I backslid. And that's the only reason I'm in this life. One by one, souls begin to come and say to me, thank you for sharing that, for saying that, for being bold enough to say that in this setting. And I knew then what God had in store, that he was going to, 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 to raise up not only my voice, there are many. He's raising up a new nation who has And so now these people can't wait. They might look at a Baptist preacher or a Pentecostal preacher who's not walked in those shoes. They can't look at me and say, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's just being prejudiced against me. They know I was in the same thing that they were in. They know that I was stuck in the same flesh, you know, struggle that they were stuck in. But I am free. Amen. That sister said that she was free. And you see, that's why I was uh, talking about on last week's Bible study after Sister Sarah gave us a great lesson. But you see, we understand that God allows us to go through some of the situations we do because God intends to use your testimony as ministry. And that's why if we can convince ourselves that you know God just wants my little light to shine, I don't have to say anything, I don't need to get into conflict. I don't need to offend family members or my boss at work or others. And you think that you're gonna stand there and God's going to use you, you better think again, because this woman was afraid, but she was used of the Lord. The Lord gave her confidence in him to go and preach the gospel and say what needed to be said. But you see, there were other people that were in that crowd with her that felt just like she did but they were afraid to even address it. But you see, it took one brave soul that believed in Jesus Christ and he set her free. But these people today try and make you feel like there's no way in the world that you can be set free, that you know that is who you are and to just accept it. And the Bible tells you in Isaiah chapter three that they would get to the place of hiding their sin or declaring their sin as Sodom and that they would hide it not, that they would be proud of it. And that's what you're finding today. But you know what the problem is? A lot of Christians have not come forward in the love of Jesus Christ to tell people what they need to know. Their definition of love today is just to sit back 
you know, just say things, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not directly to people and just show them love and somehow they're gonna believe in Christ. No, they won't. People need to know that it is an, it is an abomination that it's not righteous, that God is against it, that God condemns it and he will judge it. And they need to get on point with that. But I wanna bring up some key points. She says that media is controlled by homosexuals. We know this. We know even the clothing industry is designed by it. Why do you think man's pants are getting skinnier and skinnier? Why do you think they're wearing tight fitted clothes? I can't even find clothes to fit me anymore. But you see, they're doing this because the majority of these people are homosexual. Now, if you look at the man's clothing line today and you look at the women's, you find almost no difference. The women's clothing is getting more masculine and the men's clothes, the women's clothing is get, I mean, the men's clothing is getting more feminine. This is what's happening to society. They're desiring to change you. And they didn't ask you your approach on it. They didn't say, what do you think, men? Should we tighten up your clothes? No, they're making it this way because they want you to conform to them. This is no different than what went on in Sodom and Gomorrah when they knocked on the door and said, let us make of you what we are. They're doing that today. They're not taking votes. They are commanding and demanding and anybody that goes against them will be in trouble. Now, remember, even that woman that refused to make a cake for them because of their religious beliefs, what did they do? They condemned that woman. They, they tried to destroy her business, sue her. They could have gone to the justice of peace to get married, but no, they wanna come to where Christians are knowing what they believe and daring them to say something opposite of what they want. This is a spirit of takeover, guys, but thank God for women like this who had guts enough to trust God. And notice that when she got saved, he didn't just put her on a plane and run. She represented him right there in the Sodomite kingdom. Right there in Sodom and Gomorrah, she told what she was going to do and how it was wrong and what God wanted. And you know what? God backed her up. What's wrong with us Christians today? We're afraid of that spirit. You know why? I'm gonna prove to you that you've got some of it in you. You're not going to fight against that which is like yourself. That's where the passivity comes in. That's the fifth column that we that we talk, talk about and teach about, that the devil plants that in you early through sexual sin. So when the time comes to represent Jesus Christ, you can't do it. You know why? Because you've got the enemy within. And unless you conquer the enemy within, you're not gonna handle the enemy without. That's what we better understand in this. But one king actually did get it right in society. Let's go to 2 Kings 23, guys, because this is what we need to take place. It's not enough that they're walking around having their free rights to do whatever they want. Now, they've got to push that on your children. They've got to put in, 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 in books today that Billy has two moms and Sally has two dads. That's why they're mixing these bathrooms up the way that they're doing it. They're forcing this on you, man. Nobody voted on this. There's no sane mother or father that would allow a transvestite or whatever kind of grown man to be in the same bathroom with their child, not knowing what they're gonna do. No one's caring for the kids anymore. You know why? This is a hostile spirit. And whatever way that they can gain control, they are going to do it. But stop believing in this, oh, we just love one another and nobody loves us. That's not what's happening at all. And that woman even told you that they come in 
bring in a few people at the top, they vote on it, and then they run the school system, then they run the government, then they run the media. This is what they do. They're like snakes that come in through the back door and they'll pick some of the most famous people in Hollywood to back them. And then you'll say, you know what? I actually like these people. What's wrong with that? Everything is wrong with it. But this is the way the devil plays his game. So look at 2 Kings chapter 23. We're going to talk about one king and what he did and what we need to do today if we really love them and want them to come out of this life. And then we're going to hear another video of what's happening today, too. So this is 2 Kings 23. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. So this king called all the elders and all the people of Jerusalem to come together. And the king went up into the house of the Lord. So he went into the church or the temple, and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great, which were like rich and poor. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. So not only did this king get everybody together on one accord, he recognized something was wrong. Hey man, we gotta get this thing right. Now that I'm the king, I want you to bring everybody in society and I want you to meet me in this church. I'm bringing us into modern terms. And while we're in there, we're gonna read the Bible, okay? Because I want you guys to see what God thinks and I want you to see the things that are against God that's going on in this place. And that's why these punk preachers need to stand up and serve God. Because there was a time that that politician or that president or whomever, he cared about what that man in the pulpit was saying. You wanna know why that agenda didn't grow so big while all these things weren't going on in school and otherwise? Because of that man in the pulpit, what he was saying was an abomination, what he was declaring is sin, what he made the people understand in his congregation that these things could not be accepted in the Lord. And because of that, that influence carried on into the White House and in the outhouse and wherever else people are. It carried on and he knew in order for me to be voted in, in order for me to be popular before the people, I've got to pay attention to what that man in the pulpit is saying. And you see preachers hold a lot of weight, but you see somehow the devil convinced them that they're just religious and they got nothing to do with what's political. Nothing could be further from the truth. The man of God has the power because he's backed by God. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? But when you got some of these guys with hair draped down to their shoulders, speaking very soft and timid, preaching in the pulpit, then you got to put two and two together. They're in the church. That's why they allow it. That's why they don't speak against it. That's why they're preaching this insincere love because they don't want people to know the truth. But this preacher said, or this king he said, man, y'all all come in here and I'm gonna read the law. And if he's reading the law in the times of 2 Kings 23, you best believe he went over that scripture, which is Leviticus 18, that mankind should not lie with mankind. It is an abomination. Look at verse three. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book 
and all the people stood to the covenant. And then it says, and the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, uh, and the priest of the second order, and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for all the host of heaven. So let's look at this. Baal, as we did a teaching on who was Baal, Baal was a fierce enemy of the children of Israel. Baal is another name for Tammuz or Nimrod. Who was Nimrod? The father of all false religion. You, when you see that sickle moon and star in Buddhism, in Hinduism, in Islam, when you see it in Catholicism, they all worship Baal. That's why they tell you that Mary is the mother of Jesus and she's above Jesus because that's Nimrod's wife and mother who was Semiramis, okay? That's why they like to push the little baby Jesus held in the arms of the Virgin Mary because that's Tammuz. So the first thing that this king did was take all idolatry out of the church, okay? He said, get those idols of Baal or whatever other worship that's going on in here, and I want them removed. He says, and for the grove. What was the grove? The grove was the place where they hung naked bodies of women on poles to be worshiped. That's what the strip clubs are today. They are temples of Baal. And it was the place where they had these uh, phallus symbols which were considered erect penises that, you know, you've got the Washington Monument as today. You've got right there in St. Peter's Basilica, another obelisk resurrected, okay? So he said to move out all this stuff. And then he says the vessels for Baal and for the grove and for all the hosts of heaven. So what was also going on there? Astrology wondering what somebody's name or somebody's sign is, how the third uh, star goes up against the moon and what your sun sign is and moon sign is and how they, you know, all that stuff. He said, man, get rid of it. And then he says, and he burned them without the of Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes to them unto Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priest. So what is the Pope today? An idolatrous priest. What are all these people out here that are allowing all this immoral character to be in the church? They're nothing more than idolatrous priests. So what did this king order? Even the priests that were against God out of the temple, whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places, in the cities of Judah, and in the places round about Jerusalem, uh, them also that burned incense unto Baal and to the sun, and to the moon, and to the planets, and to all the hosts of heaven. So these people were very heavy in astrology, worshiping planets. If you look at every planet today, guys, they're all named after Greek gods. You know that's not their original name, and I don't even want to get into whether or not they're planets, but they're all named after Greek and Roman gods. Jupiter, Venus, who's another name for Semiramis, Jupiter, who is Baal. Mercury, who was Hermes, who was who? Baal. Mars, who was the god of war, who was who? Baal. So you can look at Neptune as Poseidon, king of the sea, that's Baal. Saturn, another name for Satan, which is another name for Nimrod, that's Baal. So if you look at all these, you know, so-called planets that are out there, they're all named after these other gods and idolatrous priests. So it says, look at verse six, and he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord, 
without Jerusalem unto the brook Kidron and burned them in the brook Kidron and stamped it small and powder, I mean, small to powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. And he break down the houses of the what? The Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the grove. So not only did he just clean house in all these other places, he stopped by also the houses of the Sodomites and he broke them down because he knew, and I've heard this said before and I agree, what a saint is and, and as to God, what God calls a saint to be, a Sodomite is the exact same opposite. So what a saint is to Jesus Christ, a Sodomite is to Satan. They are exact opposite. Everything that God says to do, a sodomite will do the opposite. Everything God tells us not to do, a sodomite will do. So you see, he knows that because of the mindset that they have, that he broke down those houses. He destroyed them. Let's look up what a sodomite is. This is age 6945. And it says a male temple prostitute, just like what was going on in Rome, in Greece, in Babylon, in the Catholic Church, which you even found with Eddie Long in uh, that new birth church when he was sodomizing those boys. You see, this stuff is real and it's active and it's everywhere. And that's why I say pedophilia and homosexuality are joined at the hip. You even find that most uh, homosexuals were molested as children. That, it's in the high 90s, guys. Look at your statistics before they take them down and make them over. And it says, and he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense to Geba, to Beersheba, to break down the high places of the gates that were in the entering and of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on a man's left hand at the gate of the city. In your spare time, guys, read the rest of this in um, 2 Kings 23. But this king brought down, you know, he cleaned house. He got rid of all idolatry and homosexuality that was in the midst. And yet we tolerate it today because we're taught that they're born that way. We're even lied to by the scientists saying there's a homosexual gene when that's not true. Okay. He made male and female. Now, some people may say they've always felt that way, but then you've got to understand too what familiar spirits are. Somebody in your family opened that door and became sexually immoral that was involved in sodomy or homosexuality. And that familiar spirit, when that person died, transferred on to one of the children to get them to think the same way. This is why these immoral sexual behaviors are being promoted because the devil is knitting this world together like one big quilt. But it takes those who are saints of God to stand against this and to not allow this to play out. At one point, this would have never been allowed in school. But once they took God and prayer out of it, you see how they come in to fill the void? You see how because now that a lot of parents find homosexuality okay, you see how now that there are no parents to stand against it? Man, the devil is a genius how he set this thing up. And we sitting here thinking that, well, as long as we show them love, you don't realize this is about to turn to Sodom and Gomorrah. They're about to take over fully. You guys hear this article next. Not an article, but I want you guys to hear this video, which will also be in the description box. 
And then we're gonna talk about transgenderism, how that's the image of Baphomet. That's why the devil's calling everybody pansexual and asexual, because Pan was a goat-like being that went after women, you know, and there's even speculated that he was a homosexual too. He would sleep with animals, anything. And this is what the devil's trying to get the people of God to become. Man, we better wake up. If you care anything about your people or your children or those who are out there going through this, you better stand for Christ because pretty soon you ain't gonna have the chance to. All right, let's look at this. This is called The Church is Under Attack. Listen to this video, guys, it's short. Pastors in California are being targeted to adopt the LGBT agenda. On Monday, the California State Assembly passed a resolution directing religious leaders in the state to promote homosexual and transgender lifestyles as normal. The measure, called ACR 99, also calls attempts to change unwanted same-sex attraction or gender confusion unethical and harmful. And joining us now is Roger Gannam, Vice President of Legal Affairs with the Liberty Council. Welcome, Mr. Gannam. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. First of all, what can you tell us more about ACR 99 and this push to force clergy to promote the LGBT lifestyle? Well, this is a terrible resolution, and it's really uh, it's a slander against the church. It's a slander against Christian counselors. Uh, and maybe most importantly, it's a slander against the thousands of faithful people who have found deliverance from unwanted same-sex attraction and gender confusion uh, by seeking out this kind of counseling. Uh, so this resolution is, it's bad all the way around. And uh, just as an example, uh, it blames the church and religious leaders for the high rates of suicide among those who identify as LGBT. That's simply a false claim. Uh, it cannot be backed up empirically. And yet this resolution states it as if it's a fact. Uh, and of course, the problem we have here uh, is that we have uh, Christian leaders who are endorsing this statement uh, and, and joining in this, uh, this, this falsehood. And so uh, it's a really bad resolution uh, for the state of California, and it certainly is a, is a foreshadowing of worse things to come. And I understand that more than two dozen doctors, counselors, Christian counselors, former homosexuals, and Christian leaders have signed a letter condemning this resolution. What can you tell us about that? Well, that's absolutely right. Uh, some of the signatories on that letter are our own clients who are Christian counselors who have helped uh, thousands of people uh, overcome and reduce unwanted same-sex attractions and, and gender confusion. Uh, and the point that they're trying to make is that, look, we have a track record. We have actual patients and clients who have benefited uh, from, from therapy to help them with their unwanted attractions. Uh, we've helped them change their lives. We've helped them to, to live uh, heterosexual uh, lifestyles with strong and healthy marriages. And so it's really a, a slander against them to, to say that this practice is somehow unethical or harmful. Uh, and what we have to be aware of is this use of the term conversion therapy. Uh, it's a political term, and it's really a euphemism that's intended to evoke images of, of involuntary shock treatment in a church basement or something ridiculous like that, that, that even if it ever happened, which is doubtful, it certainly isn't happening in 2019. Uh, so the whole idea here is to make illegal uh, the very idea that change is possible. Uh, and that's what's so dangerous about a resolution like this, because even though it doesn't have the force of law, uh, it 
it lays a foundation for future laws to come, uh, which ultimately could make it illegal to even have these conversations in the counseling room uh, with someone who really wants to change. Well, you certainly are, are really talking about the very next question I was going to ask you about the threat that this resolution poses to the rights of Christians in California and possibly, you know, down the road in other states. That's absolutely right. We've already seen the proposed bill from the same assemblyman, Evan Lowe, which would have made it illegal uh, for anyone to provide uh, this kind of counseling or even sell books about it. Uh, for some reason, uh, Assemblyman Lowe withdrew that bill last year, even though we had the votes to pass it. Uh, so this resolution is perhaps a, a, an incremental approach to getting to the same goal, which is to make it illegal to have a conversation in a counseling room that tells a person that if you want to change, that it's possible. Uh, and that's what's so dangerous about it. it, it putting aside the, the blatant violation of the First Amendment, uh, it, just, uh, it just shows that the church is under attack and is the target uh, of folks like Assemblyman Lowe in California. And Dr. Kevin, if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, Manoa, who was a chaplain at Azusa Pacific and the former head of the National Association of Evangelicals, he supports this resolution. What have you learned about that? Well, being as charitable as possible towards a, a Christian brother, uh, it's really disappointing uh, that he would put aside uh, the truth of the matter uh, just to, to gain some favor or perhaps a seat at the table of this discussion. Uh, everyone deserves respect in this discussion and dialogue about, uh, about what kind of counseling should be allowed uh, in California. Um, but to, to join in a document, as Dr. Manoya has done, uh, that really slanders the church and slanders good counselors and good patients. Um, it's just, it's unexplainable and, it, and it's really inexcusable. Uh, and we would call on Dr. Minoya and anyone else who joined with him in, in supporting this resolution to withdraw that support uh, and to admit that it, it, it's presenting a false picture of what's actually going on with faithful Christian counselors and the thousands of people who are being helped by them. You mentioned earlier that the resolution does not have the force of law. What exactly does that mean and where does it go from here? Well, a resolution like this, it becomes part of the, the public policy of the state. And so it will be a foundation for future laws. It will be a foundation for localities, for cities and counties within California to pass their own ordinances and laws uh, against Christian counseling like this. Uh, so it, it creates a foundation and a starting point for future bad legislation. Uh, we've seen this happen all around the country with Christian counselors. Uh, and and this is we know what happens uh, from a resolution like this. And so uh, we would hope the California Senate won't adopt it, uh, but it would certainly seem that the votes are there. Wow. Finally, what can Christians do to, to stop this? I mean, what are you encouraging people in, in the state of California to do? Well, that's a really good question. And, and our first answer, of course, is to pray for uh, for guidance for these legislators. Uh, pray for, uh, for the Christian counselors and the churches that are being affected by this. Um, but it also, it teaches us that, that elections matter. Being involved in, in politics uh, for the Christian uh, is vitally important, especially at the local level, because this resolution will be taken by local city councils and county commissions, uh, and who knows what kind of mischief they can accomplish using this resolution as a justification. So being involved with what's going on locally is vitally important for Christians, in addition to prayer and, and in addition to, to supporting 
the Christian counselors in their community and supporting the pastors in their community who are willing to stand against this kind of resolution. Excellent advice. Roger Ganim, thank you so much for your time and for your insights today. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Okay, so you see... Our first speaker today... Sorry, that was something else, but you see... This thing is going to come on everybody. And a lot of Christians believe, hey, brother uh, Gary and uh, sister Heather, but um, it's one of those things where a lot of Christians think if I just sit back and mind my own business, it's not going to come my way. It is going to come your way. And this also brings my mind back to Revelation 13, when it talks about for those who will receive the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Because you see, everybody's talking about the mark of the beast, but the mark of the beast is already going to be fit for those who have the nature. And you see, the only reason why Christians are not standing up today is because they don't have eternity stamped on their eyeballs. They're not thinking about the long run. Like that woman whose testimony you heard, she what brought her to even thinking about it was her mom passed away. And while she's there at the graveyard, she said, you know, when I die, that's not gonna be the end of my existence. Where am I going to spend eternity? You see, that sobers you up real quick. While you as a Christian are worried about losing your job, worried about losing friends, worried about family or those of that lifestyle wanna kick you away from them, man, you better be worried about Christ. Jesus says that, that he, he came not to bring peace, but a sword. He came to set a man at variance against his father-in-law and a mother against her daughter-in-law. And, you know, a man's foes will be they of their own household. You know why? Because there will be some that will stand for Jesus and others that will not. But you think that you can just sit here and relax and somehow this agenda is going to pass you by. I'm telling you, fathers, they're coming after your daughters. I'm telling you, mothers, they're coming after your sons. They're coming after you. They're coming after your job. I mean, it's coming real soon. You're going to be able to, you're going to have to stand up for Jesus Christ in the workplace because if you don't, here's a pink slip and you can go somewhere else. Will we be that faithful in this time? The only way we can do it is if we get full of Jesus Christ and we separate ourselves from that sodomite spirit because it's there. Some of you like, you know, Tyler Perry. Y'all like to see him dressed as the woman and, you know, playing games and making people laugh, right? He's a real funny guy. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Everybody thinks he's so funny when it's an abomination before the Lord. What do you think his assignment is? It's not just him being a comedian. What do you think he's there for? He's there to have your little son in leggings and high heels with a, with a wig on his head. Talking about, huh, daddy, look at this. I'm Tyler Perry. I'm not trying to, you know, be angry tonight, guys, but you know, this spirit is taking over. And if we don't get wind of what's going on and realize what we're standing up for, this society is going to be unrecognizable. It's heading that way anyway. Look at Deuteronomy 22, look at verse 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. So you don't think God want his men to be men? You don't think God wants his women to be women? God knows what he made, and he knows what the image is. 
But you see how through comedy, you see how through popularity, you see how through wanting to be liked and accepted and become friends, you see what happens? You begin to fall in line with what they want. I'm going to show you how this happened. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Let's begin at verse one, 2 Peter 2 and 1, it says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their destructive ways or pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So if people are sitting here listening to me, Okay, and you're someone that's not willing to change your life, and you were born in this upside down paradigm. Then, what I just said, which is the truth, may be evil spoken of. Somebody may tune in and say, You see, this is why I don't like these kind of preachers because they don't care about the love of people. Oh, I do love them. That's why I'm telling them the truth that they may receive Christ and change. Okay, because hell is real. Look at verse three and through covetousness. Shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not? And I want you to understand too, don't think that these people, these pastors are not being paid to allow that agenda in the church. That's why you can't be covetous and greedy. That's why you've got to preach only unto Christ and to please the Lord. Because if you got any other agenda, they will buy you and they will use you. Who's got all the money in the world today? The sodomites. This is what they do. Look at verse four. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. So as you can see, Sodom and Gomorrah was an example. Everybody talks about, oh, I can't believe God did that. That was to teach you and I that God means what he says and says what he means. If he called it an abomination then, it's an abomination today. So don't have any of these punk preachers trying to tell you about love when really they're not concerned for the people. The hireling is concerned for himself. What about the children? What about that, that they have no chance today to grow up and to see a husband and wife, a real family together? No, but they're being taught about Billy having two moms and Sally having two dads. God's gonna judge this mess and he's gonna destroy it. We better get it right with him. Homosexuality is no different than any other sin. In order for me to come to the Lord, I had to stop fornicating. I had to stop doing lying, all the sins that I was committing. It's the same thing for anybody that wants to come to the Lord. It's no different. Stop blaming it on your genes and everything else and what you went through. We were all messed up, but Jesus Christ is who can make it right. But look at what it says in verse seven and deliver just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. 
So he's not talking about just the talk that these sodomites were doing in the presence of Lot, but they were also their lifestyle, the way that they lived. Why do you think all these young men are hanging their pants today? That hanging pants comes right out of sodomy, that when you're in prison and your pants are hanging, that you're ready to be sodomized. But you see how the devil made it a fashion trend today? You see how everybody's doing it? You see how men's hair is getting longer today? Men are, have no problem wearing two earrings? Now all this stuff is coming to be, but Lot became vexed with the filthy lifestyle and conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And you see, whatever you spend time around, you become one with. That's what the word of God says. So why is it being pushed around? Why do some people say today, well, I can be a friend to them and I respect their lifestyle. No, if you join to one, you become one. If you're okay with it, then you are one too. The Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Guys, this is an abomination and we can't see it any different than what God sees. Because when this spirit really does what he wants to do in prison, man, they're like this. Whether you give it to me or not, I'm taking it. And if you try and fight back, I'm going to bust your jaw. That's exactly the way it was in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how it is in prison. And they are building up their armies around everybody because they're getting ready to do it to you. You may find yourself going to you know, church one day with your family and get jumped by five sodomites. This is what's turning. When everybody begins to see what is right in their own sight, everyone goes wrong. Look at how you've got homosexuals today that will speak against pedophilia. Oh, those dirty dogs. They're doing all this to the people and all. I can't believe that they would do something like that. Yeah, that's funny. But you know, God told you about your immorality your filth, your disgust. But you see, everybody has their own standard, but you see all roads that are against God lead to the same place. That's what you will become. If you're a man, and I'm speaking to the men out there and I don't care who doesn't like it. If you are involved in sodomy, that is oral or anal copulation. If you are giving or receiving, you're a sodomite and you need deliverance and you need to have that taken out of your life. I don't care if you're doing it to a man or a woman. You see, those parts of the body have no gender. And that's what the devil's trying to do is give everybody an appetite for it. So that way, when you do it, man or woman won't matter. And the devil is a genius. He, he made this come to pass by introducing to people to uh, pornography. And that's how it got picked up. And that's why you see it today being celebrated when even your common sense as a child told you, this is absolutely disgusting. But you know, you can have the appetite of demons. Let's go to Romans one, Romans chapter one. I'm gonna break this down real quick. And then we're gonna hear another clip of a transgender that gave their lives to the Lord. Their story is pretty sad, so we may not have time to get through all of it, but it will be in the description box. Our God can save. There is nothing too hard for Jesus Christ. Our God can do the impossible to whomsoever has their belief in him, to whoever wants to be born again, whoever wants to be righteous, whoever hates the life they live. Jesus Christ can take you and make you over as if you had never sinned. If any man be in Christ, 
as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 17 says, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. You've got to forsake who you are to walk with the Lord. Sister Sarah says, Satan doesn't want anyone uh, healed, but everyone to be like him. That's absolutely true. You wanna know what the devil is? He's a sodomite. How do I know this? Because that's what he's pushing in society. That's what he does. God is masculine. When Satan fell, he fell from masculine character unto feminine character. And that's why he's a seducer. That's why he creeps in through the back door, just like his children. That's why he does dirt behind the scenes because he lost that masculine character to be as God or his angels. You saw when Jesus was here, Jesus spoke truth. Look who Jesus had represent him, John the Baptist. And some people said, Jesus said, who did you think was gonna represent me? A little reed shaking in the wind? Who did you think was gonna represent me? A man clothed in soft raiment? Man, if you're looking for those cowards, they're in king's houses. So God, our Jesus Christ was a rugged individual that spoke the truth. He loved everyone, but one thing he did was tell them the truth and he never backed off. And that's the only true love that exists. Love void of truth is a lie. It's not true. You gotta tell people the truth. Romans one, look at verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. What did that woman say for the homosexual agenda? She said that they would hide behind the scenes, okay, and act like they got masses of people that are down with it when really it was only a few of them trying to get their agenda met. And they didn't want the churches involved. They didn't want it played out on the media. They didn't want all of that. They crept in through the back door. And what are they talking about here? Those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. You see, when they allow the word of God to be moved off the scene, then you know you hold back unrighteousness, not preaching Christ. Look at verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shewed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they may be out without excuse. So the first thing the devil did was take God and prayer out of schools. You take God and prayer out of school, then kids will think they're living just to make a living in this life, just to become a doctor or a lawyer or do whatever. And they won't think that God is necessary to face life. You know, they'll put God in a box in church on Sunday, and I'm just here to get an education, live like an average man. But the Bible says that the creation and all that exists in the world, the things that are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that we're without excuse if we don't believe there's a God. God exists. You can't get order out of disorder. 12 parts day, 12 parts night, 12 months in a year, 1,440 minutes in a day. Man, the 12 times table is all over. Jesus had 12 disciples. God's government is the number 12. And it's not just that. I mean, you know, sun and moon, everything, everything is in order. So you got no excuse. The Bible says here to not believe in God. Because that when they knew God, 
They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And this is what happens to people when they're in the world. Their foolish hearts become darkened because they think that they found a new way, a new form of life, a new way to see and think things, and they abandon the life that is in God. So he says their foolish hearts become darkened. Why? Because they won't acknowledge God. He says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. So you see what they want to do today is, this is where you're hearing all this woman God, Mary's above Jesus. Uh, Elton John's talking about Jesus Christ as a homosexual. All this stuff going on today because they're trying to change the image of the uncorruptible God to be made like an image of corruptible man. So instead of in the beginning, God made man in his image, male and female created he them. Now you got man trying to create God in their image that homosexuality, fornication, bestiality, all these things are okay uh, if we just come in a bond of love. And that is not the truth. Okay, so this is what's going on. They changed the image of the uncorruptible God to suit who? Uncorruptible man who doesn't even want to be with God. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Guys, this uncleanness is where you get fornication. It's where you get adultery. It's where you get sexual immorality. This is the first stage in degradation. Actually, the first stage is changing the truth of unrighteousness, not telling people about Jesus, preaching Jesus, preaching the truth. When you move that off the scene, now you've got uncleanness. Why? Because now there's no God as the standard. Everyone does what's right in its own sight. That's why when you tell couples to get married, oh, it ain't nothing but a piece of paper today. It's just a piece of paper. A paper shouldn't show my love. It's not about your paper showing your love. It's your commitment to God to do things in a lawful, godly, okay, righteous way and not like an animal. You can get two dogs to fornicate and I guarantee you they won't feel guilty. That's what the devil is turning man into. So the first stage or second stage is uncleanness. What's the first stage? Hide the truth of God into unrighteousness. Look at verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who was blessed forever, amen. So as you can see, that's where evolution comes in. That's where people begin to believe, well, I'm some slime that washed up on the beach. I used to be a monkey, you know, 5 million years ago. And now I'm just a man. And that's why they classify men as mammals when there's no such thing as a human being or a homo sapiens sapien. That's scientific terms. God always referred to us as man and woman. But the scientists will tell you, no, you see, you're a human. You're a homo, homo, homo sapiens sapien. You're a wise, wise man, but you're still classified as a mammal. No, we were made in the image and likeness of God. But that's how they try and corrupt you. And they get you to worship and serve the creature, which is man more than the creator, who is God, who knows what's right. And then it says, look at verse 26. 
For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. So we go from uh, changing the truth of God and unrighteousness unto uncleanness. And the third stage is vile affections. What's a vile affection? Vile means dishonor, ignominy, a disgrace. So what are we talking about when women, you know, change the natural use of that which is against nature and join to women? We're speaking of homosexuality. This is the degradation from one stage all the way down to the next. Because, you know, you commit enough sin and sexual immorality, you get your heart broken out there for women. And then you say, you know what, men ain't no good when you weren't supposed to be fornicating anyway. And then from there, you go and look for women for that affection that you can only get from God. But you see, they went unto vile affection and it says they changed the natural use of that which is against nature. Because nature tells you if a man has a penis and a woman has a vagina, if they fit perfectly like a puzzle and are able to have children, then that's the natural use of what God desired. But now you got two women having sex, two men sodomizing one another. How is that natural? Your intelligence ought to tell you that this can't bring forth life, meaning what? It's not organic. It's an error, okay? Look at verse 27. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly. What does that mean, working that which is unseemly? It's talking about trying to put a square peg in a round hole. You're trying to do things that don't even go with nature. Something that would make absolutely no sense unless you're crazy, unless you're that freaked out in your mind. Who would think about a man putting his private part in another man's behind where, where body waste and everything else comes out of. Guys, I don't mean to be vulgar. I'm trying to speak the truth so that you can understand. They're doing things that are unseemly, not likely. Most likely would never happen. And what does it say? And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was me. So homosexuality is an error. It's not natural. And then it says they receive that recompense, their reward for their error. Do you know that majority of homosexuals don't live past 39 years of age? Did you know that? Their lives are cut short through, you know, violence and disease written and, you know, like the woman said, suicide. You know, a lot of suicides come from this because your mind becomes warped and you forget the purpose or don't even understand the purpose and why you were created. Then he says in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So they don't want God mentioned. They don't want to hear of him. They don't want him into society. Two men can marry just like two women. It's all legit. This is what they want people to think even as they didn't even want to hear God, it says God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now, you guys remember that video with the woman, uh, Cochrane or Catherine, her name is, she said the Lord told her that you're either going to come with me this day 
or I'm gonna let you go to wallow in the filth that you're in. And you see how she had to choose him? Because a reprobate mind is a mind that is rotten to the core. It's disqualification. That is what you call, guys, the point of no return. Now, I'm speaking to any homosexual that might pick up this teaching and get some understanding. I want you to know that if you can hear what I'm saying and you repent and you no longer want to be in the life that you're living, then God will change your life if you are sincere and you give it all over to him. But if you don't want to hear it, there's a very good chance that you may be reprobate. Who knows that? Only God. But a reprobate mind does not desire to be sanctified. They do not desire to be saved. They like who they are and they do not want to change, okay? A reprobate mind is a disqualified mind. Reprobate, not standing the test, not approved, properly used of metals or coins, that which does not prove itself such as it ought, unfit for, unproved, spurious, and reprobate. So you can get fixed in your nature if you don't give things over to God. So he's, God gave them over. The first time he gave them up to uncleanness. He gave them up to vile affections. But the final stage was the reprobate mind. Homosexuality is one stage away from reprobation. Why? Because your world is totally warped. I mean, everything that God stood for, you are the exact opposite of. Man, hear Jesus while you can and get saved. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful. But who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So when God gives you over, you're gonna have pleasure in sin. You're gonna have pleasure in unrighteousness. You will not desire to be saved. So we need to hear the Lord today that we may be saved. But you see, it all starts out in uncleanness. Then vile affections, you start getting freaked out. And before you know it, there is the reprobate mind where you can't be saved. God gives you over. You don't want that in your life. You want to do what God says that you can be made right. We're going to hear one more, guys, one more video of a transvestite that found the Lord. And I wish I would have played this first because this is going to strike a lot of people in the heart, especially if you're of that lifestyle. All right, let's do it. Go and live a normal life. The pastors confronted me and they said, so who are you? Who are you really? And I said, well, I'm a man who used to be a woman. And their response to me was, okay, um, you know, we love you. We love you. We just can't have you coming back here. I was probably about three in there, and I, it was a summer day, 
and we had we I grew up in a tiny house with a big yard, and I was running around without my shirt on because by then I knew I already wanted to be a boy, so I was already acting out. My shoe had come untied, and so I went up to my mom and I asked her, "Will you please tie my shoe?" And she's like, "I won't until you put your shirt on." And I'm like. Okay, so I just took my shoes off and ran around because I didn't want to put my shirt on because then that would make me a girl. I didn't realize that then. It was after later that I figured out that that's what I was doing. The second memory um, is before kindergarten. So I was about four or five. I, um, I was riding my trike my tricycle, we had a driveway and I'd ride it up and down the driveway and I had its own little parking spot like you would for your car. And I can remember riding my tricycle up and down the driveway and pulling into different places um, on the driveway, like pretending I was going to pick up my girlfriend and we were going to go get married. And it was at that point that I began to realize that this probably isn't normal. You know, when I think back about the memories, I don't really have any feelings attached to them. Um, a lot of my childhood, there's not a lot of um, feelings attached to things unless they're really traumatic and painful. And there's been healing in those. However, um, I, I was just so detached emotionally that I didn't know how to feel about certain things uh, that happened. I viewed my dad, you know, he emotionally uh, was abusive to my mom as well as verbally. I did see my dad hit my mom. It was only like twice. I know that's twice too many, but um, as far as you know, physical abuse, there wasn't really anything. My dad uh, was a very jealous man, very insecure. I realize now he's very narcissistic. So it was pretty much all about him. But in the verbal abuse and in the emotional abuse, uh, I watched my mom crumble underneath that. And the way my dad did these things, my little mind came to the conclusions that women are hated, women are vulnerable, and women are weak. And that's why he was picking on my mom, basically. And then when I watched my mom respond out of these things, I saw that she, you know, she was weak because she didn't know how to stand up for herself. She didn't know how to draw those boundaries because she was afraid of him. You know, he, he could be angry in a moment. And, um, and I watched her be vulnerable in that as he continued to charge at her with words and those types of abuses. And I don't, it, she acted like she was hated. And so when I looked at all of that, I'm like, okay, it's, I'm like my mom and my dad's this way and my mom's that way and I don't want to be hated. You know, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be vulnerable. So what else do I have but to become a man? When I was seven, my little brother was born and he was celebrated tremendously, you know, and whatever affection I had from my dad was now all turned to my little brother. So there was another lie that crept in there that I could be replaced boys are celebrated, women are replaced. And so that really affirmed in order to get that affection, I had to be a boy, to be affirmed, to be okay, to be celebrated, to be good enough, um, or just to be enough. When I was 11, I have an older half-brother, and he began to molest me. And even though I felt that it was wrong, you know, I had that lie in there, women are weak and women are vulnerable. So he was taking advantage of me 
believing I was weak and vulnerable, not knowing how to stand up to him. And also knowing that if I told my dad, my dad would probably beat the living stuff out of him. My mom would probably deny it as she did with anything else when confronted. She would be like, no, your dad's okay. The way he's treating me is okay. And so I grew up in this really unhealthy atmosphere. I was probably molested by my older brother until I was like 13. And I don't know why he stopped. I was just glad that he did. And I don't know if I got to a certain age where I was no longer appealing to him or what. But those are the things that the Lord has shown me that, you know, stirred all in there. And then those lies were affirmed along the way, too, as far as um, when um, my parents had a rental house and one of the families that moved in there, I can remember the woman. So my mom would always make friends with the wife that was, you know, of the couple. And I can remember her saying to my mom, you know, she would be such a cute little boy. I was like, yeah. So that totally affirmed, you know, all those things that, yeah, it would be a better to be a boy. People are recognizing that I'm already cute as a boy, so I might as well be that. And being a woman isn't really a great option. Um, just was not a great option. Denise Schick, the founder and executive director of Help for Families, has written Transgender Confusion, a biblical-based Q&A for families. In this book, Schick explores a variety of topics including science and feelings, family questions and answers, answering theological questions, walking in truth, and Christianity and culture. This is an invaluable resource for families with transgender confusion in their midst. To get your copy of Transgender Confusion, go to www.helpforfamilies.com. David Kyle Foster describes from Scripture the sanctification process in his book, Transformed into His Image, Hidden Steps on the Journey to Christlikeness, borrowing key insights from leaders like Leanne Payne, Larry Crabb, and Benedict Rochelle. This book calls the Christian deeper into the life that God created us to have and shows God's provision for making it possible. Download your copy of Transformed into His Image today, wherever ebooks are sold, or get the paperback version at our online store at www.purepassion.us. When I was 16, I got a car, and uh, I had met a girl at one of those dances I was at. And so she became my girlfriend, and I would go out and pick her up, and we'd go out on dates. And I was totally lying to my parents where I was going. Eventually, that caught up with me because this mom was kind of putting it together, and um, she called my parents, and then my parents confronted me. That was when I told them I wanted to be a man. And my dad pretty much told me, we will not talk about this again. You are not going to do that. And at one point I was alone with my mom and I said to my mom, mom, you know what? I, I really do want to be a boy. And my mom said, that's gross. And I was like, all right, so my secret will continue. Even though the girl knew about me, she still viewed me as her boyfriend. So we kind of went off and on there for a little while. And then when I became 19, I got out of the house. I started doing my research to find out who would help me. I went to a doctor and he's like, yeah, I can start you on hormones. So I moved out of the house and uh, I began the hormones and I thought I was free. I was like, yeah, I'm finally here. I have arrived. I am free. This is, this is my life. I saw myself as a heterosexual male, and to date women as a male was normal. 
I, I never viewed myself really as a woman per se. And then that was the part that I hated. That was the part that was, I was constantly pushing down and um, being detached from as far as any identity, sexual identity as a woman or gender or anything. I totally wanted to be male. One of the things that the Lord revealed was that I, because my mom wasn't nurturing, there's this nurture thing that I was missing. And I believe that's why I thought wanting to be with women was was normal because a lot of the women that I would choose would be very nurturing, very gentle, very soft, ones that needed to be protected. Because one of the vows that I made is that I'm going to be the man my dad is not. I'm not going to be an abuser. I'm not going to be those things that he is. So I took the hormones. Um, of course, right away, uh, I started filling out muscularly. I started getting acne and um, started to grow a beard. And I think from, so I started at the age of 19. And I think from 19 forward, I don't think I was ever without a mustache once I was able to grow one. It was part of my identity. And then I continued to work out on top of that. So I got pretty buffed and then taking the hormones. And then I was taking an extra little bit more to make sure that I could keep up this physique uh, when I worked out. Because my goal was not to ever be known as a woman. My goal was to only be known as a man. And I couldn't figure out, because I had met some other transsexual people and being a transgender person, I just want to go and live a normal life this life as a man, normally. <laughs> that was my whole goal. And so in continuing to work out, I realized later that that was my form of protection. The harder I worked out, the less weak I felt. I felt, you know, there's a whole safety issue in that. You know, as I viewed my mom, I'm like, you were never very safe. And so I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be tough so that no one, no one can take advantage of me. I won't be weak and I can protect the women that need protection. I was very cautious um, when I dressed and undressed. I usually tried to go to the gym uh, already in my gym clothes. And if not, then I would use a stall. I would change that way. Um, or if I knew there was a place where nobody really used the locker room right there, I would change there. And I would do it as quickly as I could. In wearing man's clothing, um, that just affirmed who I was. It, on the, it was my outer appearance that affirmed what I felt in my heart. And I didn't, there was no sexual experience that I, no gratification or any things like that. That was just to keep my identity safe. I did think of operations. In fact, um, I did have a mastectomy. And, um, but as far as below that, I, it, it was very expensive at that time. I went as far as going through the interviews for it and to see if I was a good candidate. And I was, but then again, it was the money. And financially, I was just not in a place to continue that. So my spiritual journey, I was raised Lutheran. So at that point, um, if I can put it this way, it felt very dead. There was a point in my life where I was a God stalker. I knew everything about God, but I didn't know him. And then um, in high school, there was a Christian movement that I got involved in and I accepted the Lord, but I, you know, I don't know if I was for real in that when I was in high school. Uh, it was a very emotional experience. 
but nothing heart changing in that. And it was interesting because I accepted him when I was living that double life in high school. And then when I moved out and began to live as a man, I lived with a Chinese family and she had two daughters. One was 14 and one was 12. And I went to their youth group. And it was in going to that church that I asked the Lord to be my savior. And the next morning when I woke up, I'm like, oh, well, you didn't strike me dead. You must be okay with the way I'm living. But there was something inside of me that thought I I didn't do it right. (laughs) So the next service, I went down again, accepted the Lord and nothing really seemed different. And so then I went down a third time and accepted the Lord. And I'm like, well, this must be good because, you know, I'm not dead. He hasn't, you know, I didn't feel any conviction as far as how I was living. So I continued on to pursue the Lord. There was a church who heard about me. My dad had found out where I was working and he went in and talked to my employer and said, you know, this guy's not a guy. It's actually my daughter and da, 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 da. Well, as he's explaining this to my employer, person that I went to church with also worked there and she heard the entire thing took it to the pastors the pastors confronted me and they said so who are you who are you really and uh and I said well I'm a man who used to be a woman and their response to me was okay um you know we love you we love you we just can't have you coming back here so I left that church somehow though I knew that wasn't the heart of God And I hadn't lost hope. I guess I expected their response. There's kind of this expectation that I wouldn't be welcomed. And I don't know if that came because I knew my parents wouldn't be accepting of that. I always always anticipated rejection, so I'd always be prepared. After that happened, I learned how to look two steps, or actually four steps forward to make sure all my bases were covered, and two steps back to make sure nothing was revealed back there. So I got really good at being deceptive. And I didn't think of it as being deceptive. I thought more as being protective and making sure that my life was safe. Because, you know, I I had seen a, a couple of movies where transgender people had gotten beaten up. And one of them got killed. I was like, so that made me even more intentional as far as keeping myself together and not letting anybody know and not ever being caught. And, you know, and I, it's. Okay, guys, because I know we don't have a whole lot of time concerning this. I'm going to play a little of part two because I want you guys to hear some of this. And then from there, we're going to close out with the scripture. I'm sorry to hold you guys so long, but, you know, this is very touching because. Even when this woman came to try and get help, she walked into the wrong church. They didn't want to deal with it, so they just told her to go away. That's why it's so important as Christians that we tell these people the truth, that they can find Jesus Christ. Don't be so religious, you know, that you don't see the need that someone needs to be saved. Now, obviously, if they go in there, they don't want to change, they like who they are, and they declare their sin is Sodom, then you can ask them to leave. Why? Because you know, they will vex a lot of people that are there. But when you come to the Lord, every sin that you ever had will will not go away right away. That's why we have a process of sanctification so that God can clean us out and make us righteous with him, okay? But, you know, it doesn't go away right away. You won't be perfect, but you will be different when you give your life to the Lord because he will give you his Holy Spirit that will work on you. All right, so let's hear a little bit of part two 
And then from there, I'm going to... What pain are you dealing with? What does that look like? And speaking truth into that, saying that's not who you are. That's not true of you. This is what's true of you. And speaking that truth, it's having that place of being able to be real. And sometimes it's ugly and it's messy. I can remember her saying to my mom, you know, she would be such a cute little boy. I was like, yeah. So that totally affirmed, you know, all those things that, yeah, it would be a better to be a boy. People are recognizing that I'm already cute as a boy, so I might as well be that. And being a woman isn't really a great option. That was when I told them I wanted to be a man. And my dad pretty much told me, we will not talk about this again. You are not going to do that. And I said to my mom, Mom, you know what? I, I really do want to be a boy. And my mom said, that's gross. I went to a doctor and he's like, yeah, I can start you on hormones. So I moved out of the house and uh, I began the hormones and I thought I was free. I was like, yeah, I'm finally here. I have arrived. I'm free. This is, this is my life. I saw myself as a heterosexual male. And to date women as a male was normal. It, my stuff when I came out of the lifestyle I got involved with them and one of the teachings on is you know what do you call the Lord and what what name do you can't you call him and I thought well I can call him father I can call him dad I can call him I'm like I don't have an issue with that and then when the Lord came to me and said when you pray I want you to call me daddy because that's what I called my dad was daddy and I thought okay that's the trigger <laughs> that one and when he said, I want you to call me daddy, I said, mm-mm, not doing that. Not ever. And so he backed off. And the next day I went to pray and said, oh, Lord. And he's like, mm, I want you to call me daddy. And I'm like, then we're done. I'm not, I'm not doing that. This went on for two weeks. <laughs> I'm like, I'm standing on my ground because he's not going to make me call him daddy. And I realized later that in calling him daddy was like swearing at him because that had such a bad taste in my mouth. It meant so many ugly things to me. Why would I want to call the Lord daddy? Why would he want that? So there's a graveyard that I would go and pray at, mostly because it was quiet. Nobody bugged me. Um, and I could pace around and pray out loud. And I can remember sitting on the curb and I started to pray and the Lord said, I want you to call me daddy. And I thought, okay, it's been two weeks. <laughs> He's still asking. Obviously, I haven't changed his mind. So what would be wrong with that? What if that's okay? What, what if? So I sat there. And honestly, I had to work up courage. Because I'm like, okay, wait, if I do this, what is he going to do to me? How is he going to respond to me? Because this other person who I called daddy wasn't good. The Lord's supposed to be good, but now I'm calling him a name. Oh. So I had this turmoil in there. I'm dealing with fear. It's like, if I say this, I don't know. But what if it's okay? What if it's okay? So sat there with all the courage I had. And I just said, 
broke. And I cried so hard. My sides hurt the next day. I mean, it was this, this deep within me, gut-wrenching pain, whatever that was that came out. And I remember pounding my fists in into that grass as hard as I could, yelling, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, with everything that I had. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I just called the Lord Daddy, and now I'm yelling, I hate you. I'm like, Lord, I don't hate you. I, I don't hate you. I don't hate you. And the Lord said, I know, but you had to for a moment. It's like, oh, because I understood that he stood in that place. And the only way I know to describe it is that he took that pain. And I, all I know is something happened that day. You know, there was something within me that was released. There was something within me that was gone, but yet it was still raw in there. Okay, so long story short, guys, she gives her life to the Lord. But you see how the devil can take a situation like that and corrupt a person, you know? He, he'll have a father abuse a daughter, you know? And then the daughter hates men, you know? And this is why the devil allows men to do this stuff to women and women to men. But you see, if we are all in that place of serving the Lord and doing what he says, you can't abuse the person that you're with. They can't abuse you in that way. And that's why, you know, marriage is just such an important thing because if you don't have it, man, it's just going across the borders of everything that God stands for. And there's nothing, you know, that, that's in front of those borders, but the devil, he is going to intrude in your life and we won't allow the word of God to live in us. But she said that the Lord told him to call her daddy. That had to hold me back from tears because what I'm preaching tonight is not hate. I wanna see people saved. I wanna see people give their lives to the Lord and love him with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But this is just amazing how a woman who was a transgender that did all these things that the Lord, he was persistent. He bothered her for two weeks to call him daddy because you know what? That's the Lord we all love and that we wanna serve. And no, we're not perfect, but we gotta cry out to the Lord and give our lives to him that his righteous will in us can be done. You see, so my plea tonight is the same thing that this woman is dealing with, that we give our lives to Christ. I don't care if you're a pedophile. I don't care if you're a homosexual. I don't care if you're a fornicator, an adulterer, an idolater, whatever that is. Give your life to Jesus today because he loves you and he wants you to come in. The devil has used and abused you. Some people couldn't even trust their own family members because of all this pain and hurt that the devil brought to them. But our God is a good God. Jesus Christ is a great Lord and Savior. And all he wants is his people to know him and to come to him and be with him because he truly is our God. God is truly good. God is truly faithful and true, and we've got to learn to get to know him. Because you see, to know God is the beginning of your life, that he may live in us and work through us. He gives you purpose. He doesn't just have you go with the status quo. He gives you purpose as to what he wants you to do. He wants you to return back to the image 
of God and his likeness. I got a teaching coming up in a week or so called redemption is greater than creation. Redemption is greater than creation. I was talking to a brother James today and we were talking about God's goodness. We were talking about all that the Lord stood for. And we were asking, how could Adam and Eve, you know, God knew they were going to fall, but he made them and they had the free will choice to do what they want. But when they sinned, yes, God came down on him, but God wasn't standing there clueless, like he didn't know what to do. God knew that he would put enmity between thee and the woman, between the devil's seed and the serpent seed. So Jesus Christ, was always the solution. I think God knew we were gonna fall, but God wanted us to be redeemed so that we can truly understand the love of God. If we were just created, and the Bible book of Genesis tells us that creation is all beautiful and everything that God made, that we were made in the image of God, beautiful creation, but would we have truly known the love of God until we fell? When we fell, the Bible says that God loves us even as sinners, he died for us, where most righteous people won't even do that. Hey, Sister Shadante, you know, but you see, that's the whole story concerning this, that redemption is greater than creation. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far the devil has taken you and what pain you suffered. Jesus Christ is here to redeem you, to make you right because he made you and he understands you. And all he wants you to do is come home so that he can show you the love that only he can give you. First Corinthians six, and I'm done guys, I promise. I'm sorry to hold you guys so long. First Corinthians six, and I am done. But my heart goes out to the homosexual. My heart goes out to the pedophile because you see, you can't become a pedophile unless you've been, you know, molested as a child. And that's what people ought to understand. You can only be what you are, what someone has made you to be. But our God comes to make all things right. First Corinthians six, guys, look at verse nine. He says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. So he tells them, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived because a lot of people are telling you, you can go out there, sin freely, live as you want, and God will accept you because God is love. God has conditions. So he says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Guys, if you look at the word effeminate, that's G3120. And that word is malikos, and it means a man that is soft, soft to the touch, metaphorically in a bad sense, effeminate or of academite. What is academite? That's the puor delicatus that we were talking about tonight. That's a boy that is kept for homosexual relations with a man or of male or uh, sorry of a male who submits his body to unnatural lewdness of a male prostitute okay so it says even soft to the touch it says in fine clothing like woman's clothing figuratively academite or effeminate so they are not allowed you see and everybody's talking about Tyler Perry as a christian 
And, you know, they see him down at the mega fest with T.D. Jakes and them. The Bible's telling you here that no effeminate man will make it into the kingdom of God. I'm not saying a man can't have feelings, but God made his men to be men. He made them tough. He made them strong. He meant for them to stand in the face of all unrighteousness and tell people about the Lord to protect his family, to be a strong man, not given into temptation and sin. That's what this is about. God wants a man to be a man and anything outside of that, he will not accept. And then it says, abusers of themselves with mankind. That's G733. That word is one who lies with a male as with a female, a sodomite, a homosexual. He says abusers of themselves with mankind. Sodomy is abuse, guys. You can't love a woman, all right, and, and, and put your penis in her mouth and spew out semen down her throat. Lord knows I'm not trying to be graphic. I'm making a point. If you love them, you can't do that. A woman can't have a man tasting body waste and fluids and all these different things and you love that man. That is that is degrading, man. That's as degrading as you can be. And you call that love? You know, penetrating someone in their anus? That's not love. That's abusers of themselves with mankind. Verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And look at what he says here in verse 11. And such were some of you. So some of you guys used to be like this. Some of you were fornicators. Some of you were effeminate. You were adulterers. You were covetous. You were a thief. You know, you were a homosexual. He says, such were some of you but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. I'm here to tell you guys that God can make your life right. He's not talking to a bunch of Christians who were born Christians. He was speaking to a bunch of sinners that lived a sinful life that he intended for God to redeem. Look at verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So what were our bodies meant to do? Glorify God. Look at verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that that, I mean, that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. And this is why I'm trying to tell brothers and sisters concerning this too that if you sleep with someone, okay, that was involved in homosexuality or lesbianism or sodomy or any of these things, he says that which you join yourself to, you become one with. So you want to know where some of these illicit appetites start coming up, where all this filth and all these things are coming into our minds? You, can, you could have joined yourself to someone that has that spirit. That's why he says, whatever you join to, you become one spirit with. 
We look at verse 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. That word for fornication is the Greek word pornia. This is where we get the word pornography, and that's G4202. That word is illicit sexual intercourse, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, which is bestiality, sexual intercourse with close relatives, that's incest, and then there's sexual intercourse with a divorced man or woman. Metaphorically, the worship of idols and the defilement of idolatry and incurred by eating the sacrifice offered to idols. So as you can see, guys, it covers all sexual sin. God wants us to flee them. He says, because if you commit these acts, you sin against your own body. Look at verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. So you don't belong to you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost meant to glorify God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Jesus didn't die for us to remain sinners. Jesus died for us that we may all be born again and made right in him to glorify him in his image and his likeness. And I just wanna to say to homosexuals out there, I'm not your enemy, pedophiles or anyone else. I want you to get saved. I want you to get to know Jesus Christ because you know something, he's the only one that truly loves us and cares for us, you know? And, and you don't know, each day is not promised to us. Give your life to the Lord while you have time that he can redeem you and set you on high, that you may not live like an animal, but you may live in God's holiness and true righteousness. So I just wanna say to people out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, give your life to Jesus Christ today while there is still time. Repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways, walk away from sin, and allow Jesus Christ to come into your life. Believe in his death, burial, and resurrection that he died for you, and all your sins can be washed in his shed blood. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to forgive you for grieving the Holy Spirit, and allow God to come into your life. Get baptized. Get into his word. Let him share himself with you as you get to know him, and you can live a life in eternity having Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And you know, um, Let's just pray out and I think from there we'll close. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God that is able to save our souls. Right now, Lord, we ask that you bring your spirit upon everyone listening, those who wanna be saved, those who were caught up in sin that need your righteousness upon them. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you pour out your spirit, that you anoint them, that you cleanse them, that they may be the temples of the living God, that they may share the truth and salvation with all those people who are condemned and damned to hell. I pray, Lord, that you open the heart, the mind, the ears, the eyes, whatever orifice, Lord, you need to enter, that they may be made right and that they may be sanctified to glorify you. We pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So guys, that's going to wrap it up for tonight. Tomorrow, we've got a teaching at 7.30 uh, p.m. Pacific time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, and it's going to be called the anointing. What's the importance of an anointing? Why is it important that you and I have it? That's what we're going to be talking about because a lot of Christians do the things that they do in this life, and they only get but so far because they have not yet sought the anointing. The anointing of God breaks the yoke of the enemy. The is what the apostles and what Jesus Christ walked in. And if you and I wanna be victorious over sin, especially going against the enemy, and what you see is building around us, this Sodomite kingdom, if you really wanna walk in the boldness of Christ and to perform the works of Jesus Christ, then you've got to give your life to him and pray for a heavy anointing because the anointing breaks the yoke. So I just wanna to say to people out there, if this uh, teaching has been a blessing to you, subscribe to the channel, you know? And if you have already, get the word out, talk to others, because one thing we're gonna do is tell people the truth and hope that all may be saved, all right? So I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com, and at least until tomorrow or next time, uh, Coach Poor, um, nice to see you. Sister Shadante, Brother Kevin, um, Sister Sarah. Let us keep our sister Tara in prayer as she's battling cancer with her sister, okay? So I just want to say I love you all. Until next time, have a good night. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.